Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. On November 3rd, 86 out of 99 state legislative chambers are holding elections. There are 70 million young eligible voters, the largest and most diverse generation in our country's history. We have the power to shape our country and communities. But we need need all all of us. us. So on November 3rd, 2020. Know that voter suppression will be present. Vote anyway. You will be discouraged. Vote Vote anyway. anyway. Tuesday will be imperfect. Vote Vote anyway. When every headline is shouting Shouting democracy and duty duty in swing states, you will be asked to believe in a dream that never came to fruition for every American. And despite your best reason, you must uphold it. Because we can't vote a world into existence that we can't first imagine. The American dream is ours for the making. Come alive for ancestors who need you to finish their story. A story that begs for atonement. Cast your promise. Cast your promise. Cast your vote. Cast your vote. But vote! Election day will not go perfectly. You may be discouraged. Obstacles will abound, yet vote anyway. That's the compelling message from Levi's to a group of almost 70 million young eligible voters. They've just created a PSA campaign with brand influencer Haley Bieber. It builds on their previous Vote About It campaign. It calls on all eligible voters to know their voting status, know their voting rights, register to vote, and come November 3rd or prior to that date in mail-in balloting, just vote. A conversation with Kelly McGinnis at Levi's was so compelling and it went long. So we wanted to cut it in two parts. But the first half, the second half, they're all equally as great. So let's get into it. Can we talk about your creativity and social activism? Because um, so many CEOs today are now being pushed by their employees to act. And um, many don't have the depth and the history that you have where you really have walked the talk. So um, I'd love you to talk both sides. One, your history with um, Parkland and, you know, how you approach that, because that was really putting you on the side of, some consumers may want you and some may not. 
And so that's more edgy. And then you've got voting and you're doing wonderful layering impacts on voting. So I want to start with your two. And then I'd love you to, again, give insights to those other companies out there that are, ah, I know I need to, but I don't know where to start. Gun violence prevention was an evolution for us. So it started for us when we heard from employees saying that they felt uncomfortable in open carry states when people would come in to try on pants. And um, coincidentally, so we were going to follow what other big box retailers had done and just not ban, but just politely ask that people maybe reconsider whether that was a time that they wanted to be carrying if they were going to be taking off their pants. And while we were working on that, coincidentally, someone literally shot themselves in a fo- in the foot in a dressing room. And so we clearly had an anchor for why we were raising this issue. So we did that. And to your point, it definitely sparked a tremendous amount of um, reaction and feedback. And what was particularly surprising to me, we communicated via an open letter that we published on LinkedIn. I always think of LinkedIn because it's not anonymous, like the most polite place you're going to be. And I was amazed by how people really were very negative, not just about the policy, but, you know, very personal and personal attacks that came particularly at our CEO. So what we didn't waver and we felt very comfortable with that action. And then you fast forward and the incidents that happened in Parkland on Valentine's Day of that year. And as a youth-focused brand, we very quickly said, there's got to be more that we can do. Like we were so moved by the fact that the youth was saying, you've let us down. There has to be more that can happen. And we're going to take it in our own hands and speak up. And so really our intention was, how do we lend our assets to make sure that their voice gets elevated. And um, that was our first effort to really weigh in on this as a issue that's bigger than just our stores. And we made a million dollar grant and established a, um, a commitment to continue to support for four years and to weigh in on the issue. But when our board looked at that and we got there and, and they said, you know, they we had all those hard, challenging conversations that you alluded to about, will we alienate some consumers? And is this the right thing to do? And why us that we're not a part of this industry, which were all the reasons that made it a compelling reason to do it as well, right? Like, we didn't have a business interest. And we have this Western iconic feeling. And so it felt counterintuitive, but it also felt like it was incredibly relevant. Um but what they challenged us was not only can we um, support the, those efforts, but that we needed to rally the business community. That it was that one of our goals was to make it less of a third rail issue, and the business community needed to figure out a way. We needed to sort of we like to say that when we lead, others follow. And how did we bring that example to this issue? And so that was hard. That was really hard. I'd say for the first year, Carol. I think that if I Rewind almost two years now, when the first House bill on universal background checks passed, we organized a CEO letter, um, and I think we got three or four signatures. That was it, and um, and it you know it was definitely stood out because it was we were standing alone, but it was a lonely place, and we talked to a lot of companies and. Folks agreed with the issue, but they just didn't want to weigh in on something that wasn't theirs. And then you'll remember last summer, which now seems like a decade ago, uh, 
the tragedies that happened at the beginning of that summer. And there was a series of shootings that happened. And I think every executive woke up that next day, especially after the Walmart incident, and said, how can I be part of the solution? And so what we were able to do was rally more than 270 executives to contribute to a letter to the Senate because, you know, that bill had passed the House and was just sitting in the Senate to say it's time to act. And um, it was a really powerful effort. We learned a ton in the process. We got big companies and small companies. We learned sort of what are all the internal conversations as people weighed in on whether or not they could join it, et cetera, et cetera. And so that so really felt like we the issue changed so dramatically in 12 months, right? In right. terms of what it meant, what the business community felt like they could do and what they could tolerate on behalf of their employees and their share, their stakeholders on an ongoing basis. And so um, subsequently, you know, that bill still hasn't passed, but I don't, th- I think, you know, we got a tremendous amount of attention for that work. And now it really is an issue that I think that no longer feels like the business community needs to stay away from. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's your living your courage value. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting. Your your originality and empathy I mean all your values, but it's it's interesting that you stick you stuck with it, even though you're sure. out there in in the forefront. Um, can you talk about your shift to voting? Because you you worked with the folks at Patagonia, you got together, and you really accelerated your efforts. Yeah. Well, um, what's exciting about voting was in advance of the midterms, there were independent efforts that started to bubble up within the company. So we partnered with Patagonia on Time to Vote from a corporate perspective. And that was really, again, leaning on our CEOs to use their voices to encourage their peers to make sure that no one had to make a choice between a paycheck and getting a chance to exercise their right to vote. And we all know that here in the U.S., we have a tremendous, tremendous low voter turnout and what could we do to help to contribute to making sure it's completely nonpartisan and it really is about civic engagement. And um incredibly proud that I think you guys probably know that the midterm elections were um, higher than they had. We were at an all-time low in 14. And then by 16, we were, uh, by 18, we were um, higher than we'd ever been. And I think people came into 2020 thinking that we had tremendous momentum, right? Like that we weren't going to have to worry about turnout this time, but that's all gone in a different direction. But we did say that we wanted to continue to lean in on this effort and make sure that employers expressed to their employees that they had that they had their support to go out and vote. And so we have used pretty much every tool in our toolkit to encourage other companies to do this and to join this effort. And um, we announced today that more than 700 companies have joined on. And I will say is really nice. Wow. And we have more than six and a half million employees who are represented. So um, it is a widespread, I don't think we're quite at 50 states. I think we have two to go. Um, But we're very close to every state is represented. Every type of industry is represented. And most importantly, millions of employees know that they'll be supported to vote. That was the corporate effort that we started with. But what was really cool about this is that, you know, I said that the the brand's um, purpose is authentic self-expression. And there's really no other better 
manifestation of self-expression than exercising your right to vote. And what happened at the midterms was if we had tried to do this as a top down, let's all get in a conference room and figure out how do we do this? It it would have like hit budget and all these other things. But instead, it just felt so authentic to who we are and so natural that everybody just started pulling out their toolkit and saying, how can we help the effort, right? So from an employee um, perspective, we had employees wanting to volunteer and find ideas. From a store perspective, our stores um, created booths where people could register to vote. And they got our store employees up to speed on telling people how easy it was to register to vote. We did a special collection of vote t-shirts that then people made a contribution as a result. And and then in a real culmination, the marketing team created a piece of advertising, a film that yes. they ran in advance. And, and it was one that worked globally. So it wasn't just used here in the U.S. in advance of the midterms, but it was used in South Africa in advance of their elections and kind of around the world. So that was the midterm story. And we were incredibly proud of that work. And then um, coming into 2020, we anticipated that we were going to, you know, like, Maybe it could be something less than sort of organic, like we could organize and really get ready to go. And um, we've been able to do that. We've all had to change how we do everything in the environment that we're in right now. But again, we've leaned in hard on time to vote. We've used Chip's voice as a leading thought leader on this. But then in the marketing organization, they've continued to lean in as well. And so they've really migrated a tremendous amount of their marketing programs to Instagram and Instagram Live and sort of these live events. And so they have a whole series called Use Your Voice, where they bring on social advocates to talk about why voting matters and how how it can impact on issues that people really care about. And we've been able to put a spotlight on just a tremendous number of leaders in a very, very big audience. And then in partnership with that, they did produce a new piece of film that's incredibly moving that is basically, it's almost like a public service announcement of people who are associated with the brand who are encouraging people to use their vote. And the thing that's really cool about it is it points out sort of we're all going to face obstacles this year. It's going to be harder than it ever has been, and it's still worth it, and we all have to show up. And so it's, uh, it's and again, we have an amazing vote um, collection that's available. And I have to say that the Hoodies and t-shirts this year are so soft. I wear it almost every day. <laughs> okay. Well, That's great. So awesome. Great during the pandemic. Pandemic clothing with a purpose. Absolutely. Kelly, I love, I am just a freak about waterless. Um, I had the opportunity to tour your design studio and to see that. And I was at the New York launch and you've had waterless for a very long time. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? For sure. So what we did was we stepped back several, I mean, many years ago and did a life cycle assessment to understand sort of what was the sustainability footprint of our products. And basically there are, you know, different discrete pieces of what we can and cannot control. So there's the production of cotton. So there needs to be more and more innovation around, um, being able to come up with alternative fibers and fibers that are have a lower touch. But that's the first piece of it. The second piece is the production and manufacturing, but everything from creating the fabric to the sewing and finishing. And for us, finishing in particular is 
resource intensive and water intensive. And then it's the consumer experience, right? And so, and understanding how all of those had an impact on the environment and then thinking about what can we do to impact each of those. And so on the cotton piece, Chris, you mentioned, we've looked for lots of different ideas in terms of how do we reduce the footprint of the raw materials that we use. So we've partnered with um, and we're founders of an organization called the Better Cotton Initiative, which focuses on more sustainable um, farming practices. But we're also leaning in on other fibers as well. So there's been tremendous innovation and benefits that have happened in hemp. And so cottonized hemp feels as soft as or softer than cotton and some of the synthetic fabrics. And that's a very low impact on the environment. So there's that piece of it. But waterless comes out of the finishing piece. And finishing in particular was a very highly intensive um, part of the process. And we've been able to take out 98% of the water that was used in the finishing product, uh, finishing of a pair of jeans. And as a result of that, we've been able to save billions of liters of water. And then um, the last piece was really looking for ways to educate consumers. So one of the things that's really dramatic and it even just shows up across different cultures, here in the US, we just have sort of this automatic thing that everything goes into the laundry after you wear it once. My kids say it goes into the laundry if they take it out and decide not to wear it, right? (laughs) And really saying, does that make sense? And when you look around the world, you see that uh, that's not the practice of most people. And you don't need to put things in the laundry every single time. And particularly with a fabric that people appreciate so much, like denim, you can take better care of it um, by at least hesitating, taking the pause and asking yourself, is it dirty enough that it needs to be washed? And so we leaned in hard on educating consumers to reduce the number of times that they wash their jeans and um, really thinking about sort of both the water impact, but also the impact on the fabric. And It's been a fun ride. So, you know, we've been saying that for many years and Chip said it once at a conference and it ended up the next morning I woke up and we were on all the morning shows because our CEO said he didn't wash his pants. (laughs) It really has been an ongoing effort just to ask people to take that pause and ask, does it need to be washed because there's a water impact that we all cumulatively make. And then I also know that, that you partnered with Cotton Inc. on their Blue Jeans Go Green to create insulation. You might just t- give us a little bit of background on that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is looking for other uses because everything that we can do to keep um, garments out of the landfill is absolutely a commitment that we want to be a part of. And so there is an insulation where they can um, recycle unused or do- donated denim and turn it into um, building insulation. And so like our headquarters have hundreds of thousands of pounds of that in there, but also it's just a product that, you know, I contractors and others use. So it's a, it's been another use for product. And, you know, I think one of the things, Carol, that we're really aware of is, you know, consumer behavior has been changed in a very deliberate and um, in the wrong direction in the last two decades, right? So if you back up to, I mean, I still have things in my closet from the night for sure, but if you back up to then, we didn't buy the number of things that we buy each year. We kept them longer and we treated them better. And consumers have been retrained to think that things, these things are more disposable. And so one of the things that we're very committed to do is much more, and I think as we come out of this pandemic, 
we're going to see that consumers care about this even more too. But this idea of a more conscious decisions, more deliberate choices on the things that we buy and that we want to have, and that you want things that are going to last, fewer things that are going to last longer than, and look for a place, you know, we're also seeing a tremendous amount of growth in the um, used marketplace, whether that's, you know, some of these websites where kids buy things, they own them for a couple of months and they trade them back in and then they get the next thing. You know, this this idea of recycle and reuse is just growing so quickly. And I think that the dynamic of what's happening externally in our environment is only going to um, accelerate that. That's right. And I want to actually just follow that up quickly because um, now you're talking about kind of cultural behavior and cultural change in the same moment, right? And mm -hmm. um, also, too, when you talk about the uh, getting your kids to wash, uh, to not wash their clothes, um, I, I, I've traced it to my teens. And I think that there's a cultural bias against folding. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so it's just easier. Oh, I, I took it out. I didn't wear it, but I'm gonna have to fold it, or I get to put it in the hamper. I think right. that's where that that comes from. That's gonna be the hardest, I think, cultural change <laughs> for our generation. Um, but but in terms of the cultural change that you see, but particular to that um, that urge towards consumption and that culture of overconsumption that you've been talking about, uh, you know, when when you talk about Levi's role in it, you also have some some initiatives in that role, right? You've got um, Levi's Tailor Shop, you've got Authorized Vintage. I, I know you already kind of touched on it, but can you just double back on that and, and follow through on how changing that culture and having a role there also leads to business innovation? Sure. I mean, I think that it comes in big ways, ways that are both big and small, right? So um, we want people to love, I mean, this is one of those brands, part of the primary reason that it's iconic brand is because people love it. Like I have friends who basically say, I've been loyal to Levi's and my toothpaste. Those are the only two brands that I never <laughs> changed my entire life. Yeah. And um, so we want to be, we want to be the thing that's in your closet that you love and that you reach for all the time. And recognize that that means that people want to be able to tailor it. They want to be able to repair it. They want to be able to customize it. And so um, we offer that in all kinds of ways, whether that's um, do-it-yourself videos that have been really popular, particularly while we've been sheltering in place, to the tailor shops where you go in and you can have either things customized or you can just get... We do free hemming in the stores as well. So it's sort of that whole spectrum of how do you want to customize or personalize. Um, but we're also seeing that this idea toward personalization and being able to make things uniquely yours is incredibly important. And one of the innovations that emerged for us a few years ago was we were looking really hard at the process of finishing and particularly distressing Levi's in, in the manufacturing process. And it's a messy business. I mean, I do one of the things I love about this job is getting to go, see sort of the number of hands that it goes from the field to a pair of jeans in the store and what it takes to make that happen. And that finishing process in particular is very hand intensive and hard, hard work, right? And so one of the things that we were trying to figure out is there a way to make that both more efficient and less impactful, both on our workers and on the planet. And one of the things that they found was that you could replicate what you didn't, what you didn't think you could do any other way with a laser. And so they've been able to replace 
that idea of that hand finishing that would give you the distressed jeans. I'm wearing a pair today that have a giant hole in the knee. Um, but they could do that with a laser, both faster, cleaner, less expensive, and with a lower impact. And so, again, I think this search for um, sustainability choices and safer, smarter ways of doing things has tremendous unlocks. But what also that gave us the ability to do, Chris, is to give consumers the ability to personalize and customize in ways that they couldn't do before. Like I can go on and choose exactly how I want to customize it and they can print a, a unique pair of jeans that are, I'm the only person who has them just like that. Well, you deserve that because you are so unique. I don't know about that, but I, it, it, you know how it is though, too many choices. You're not quite sure what to do then, right? So <laughs> it's fun to see what people do when they really can create, um, be creative. For sure. Let's take a break and we're going to just briefly go into a segment called Need to Know. Because of the world that we're in constantly, the clients, what we're reading, the research that we're doing, the virtual conferences that actually now allow us all to get really, really smart because we don't have to jump on a plane. We can listen to lots of great speakers. I have to tell you honestly, I've listened to three presentations from Paul Pullman and I could listen to a dozen more. If you haven't listened to any of them, go find them, listen to them. Paul Pullman, as he was the previous CEO of Unilever, bold, brave, authentic. He understands that business has a responsibility and an opportunity to truly be purposeful, purpose-driven, to grow while engaging with society, their supply chain. There's so much innovation and profound, profound ways to truly move forward engaging together to build business and society. It's not one or the other, it's the power of and. admire when you're not, you know, nose to the grindstone doing all this incredibly work? Who else is doing amazing, authentic work in terms of both sustainability, purpose, commitment to employees, commitment to society? Who do you admire? You know, I have so many mentors who are incredibly willing to take my call that I, <laughs> I have a ton of admiration. And um, what I've found coming into the retail industry in particular, that there's a very tight cohort of folks who are willing in our jobs, who are willing to spend time with each other and to really share notes and learn from each other. So I have a very tight relationship with my colleague at Patagonia, Corley Kenna. She is a tremendous thought leader and an amazing human being and would be a much stronger guest for you to have on this um, <laughs> podcast. There's Franz over at PayPal. Like we work together very oh, yeah. closely and we learn from each other all the time. And then, you know, there's just literally 
across our category, there are so many different times that I just have to pick up the phone with either people who are in my job, but at our wholesale customers or at brands. And, you know, everyone is willing to share notes and be available. And so it's one of the things that I really love about the industry that we're in is that we're all trying to just do our best on behalf of our companies. And it's a really um, collaborative team that we get a chance to work with. We talk about all the time, you know, consumers are one of your audiences, employees, another one of your audience. Um, you're one of the first companies that, that we've talked to who sees other brands and, and your peers, your partners as another audience. And, and you're actually trying to mobilize consumers and employees and other companies all at the same time. I, I think that's, that's, it's what the industry needs. It's really great. I want to ask a question, really procedurally, how does it work when, I I know Chip says that you use your values as a lens for decision-making. And so just curious again for our listeners who have their values, they're trying to use it as a lens, what are some tips and hints you could share regarding how to make that work? I mean, I think that there is a cohort of us, particularly on the executive team, who back each other up, right? So someone might ask a question that is implying, is this consistent with or are we remembering? And we're very attuned to each other to ask the question again if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't get acted on or if it's um, not heard and really deliberately thought about. So I think that there we all feel like we are stewards of this heritage and these values. And there is particularly a cohort of us who work on these issues all day, every day, who do a really good job of just being sort of the in the room nudges and uh, feeling really comfortable that we back each other up. And sometimes we do that, you know, consciously, and sometimes it's just how we work. But I, I'm not, I'm never hesitant to call up and ask a colleague or two to say, hey, if this comes up, will you back me up so that we're hearing it from someone who has a P&L or something else as we make these decisions. So great. So it's a lot of conversation back and forth, candor, calling each other out and a lot of listening too. Yeah. And just being stewards, like trying to all of us have the responsibility to be the conscience of those values as that we see decisions being made. So it sounds like that Chip is a kind of leader that you can be absolutely truthful, that you can debate with him as well as his other colleagues. He likes the debate, baby, too much sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> he, li- he likes the debate. That's great. Hey, I want to give you a shout out that you were named uh, the best corporate donor of 2019 by Inside Philanthropy. That is no small award or recognition. Um, do, do you take a moment to like go, yay, or do you just keep motoring forward? I think we're all, as an organization, incredibly proud of the work of the Levi Strauss Foundation. They have been on the front lines of really driving for you know, systemic social change for so long that, you know, we do take a lot of pride in the accomplishments of the grantees. And we look for ways to bring them into our story and to spotlight their good work and to put a little bit of extra effort into that whenever we can. Also, I know that you that you really, when you give your money to grantees, they're they're smaller, they're more emerging, they could be youth oriented. Um, how do you pick them? And also, how do you not 
prescribe so much. Well, we need all these reports and et cetera. So you suck the life out of them because you seem to be inspiring them and you're getting great engagement and stories. I think that's a credit to the expertise of the head of our foundation, um, twofold. I think one of the big considerations and that foundation board it, and the all the decision makers in the mix, we don't have huge budget. You know, we're a much smaller company than I work really hard to make sure that we kind of show up at a level that is significantly bigger than our revenues, right? So um, our influence and our impact can be much bigger than that. But it also means that our dollars that we're able to, while we make a significant in terms of percentage of revenue um, level of contributions, it's still smaller compared to companies that are much, much bigger. And so what we work really hard to do is to think about where can we have the biggest impact and how do we find those emerging leaders that we can help to kind of push them over from starting an effort to driving a movement and where can we really help to make that happen. And um, I think that's really been a deliberate intent for a long time for the foundation. I love, I think the group was called, was it Trace, that was from Parkland, and they were student journalists, Mm -hmm. and that they quickly, I mean, you just absolutely, you helped them, and then they've got, what, 100, 150 great stories to tell? Yeah, they're very impressive, yes. Yeah, yeah. I've I've done a little bit of work with the Parkland students, and, and they're quite amazing. Chris, I know you love to ask the question about insights. I do, Carol, I do. Every week we say, we say, what you know? What are the insights you would share with other colleagues in the space based on your experience? I mean, ours is really first and foremost. I think I said it earlier. Start by starting. Like nothing is ever going to be perfect. You're never going to have enough resource. You're never going to ha- know everything you need to know. And going in and just learning and trying and making an effort has always been incredibly important to us. I think as a communications team in particular keeping those values front and center and challenging ourselves to live up to them is really important. And then the last piece is being a listening organization. I always say that um, my credibility has very little to do, and I would say this of my colleagues in the comms function, has very little to do with what our opinions are, but we never show up to a meeting without knowing what are employees thinking about this issue, what are our stakeholders thinking? And really using those voices of the audiences that we're supposed to be influencing and using them as our way to drive change in, in the organization. So we always, Kelly, like to give our guests the last word. So what haven't we, I mean, there's so much to cover. We could do five podcasts and we'll love to have you come back after the election. So what haven't we asked? Oh, talk about how all well the vote that you got turned out. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I would hope everyone who's listening to this to do is that they will visit maketimetovote.org and they'll encourage their executives and their leaders to sign on, that it is a very flexible pledge, but it is a way to communicate to your organization that you support your employees, making sure they have the chance to exercise their chance to vote. That's that's fantastic. And then what's going to be, dare I say, can you tease us on what's next? for the type of activism you might be doing? You know, I mean, I think we're in it right now. We're in it in so many issues. Um, I do think that this week is a reminder of 
how many of these issues still need to be resolved. So I think we're watching closely what's happening in Wisconsin and particularly the link between gun violence and racial injustice and how there's a disproportionate impact on minorities as a result of the gun proliferation in this country. And so I think we're trying to understand, is there anything we can do to contribute to that conversation right now? Um, because it does feel like it's all inextricably linked. And um, it's just a reminder that these things keep happening. You have the comms function and you also have a colleague in the marketing function, your CMO. What are the insights that to get you two to do a great dance together? I mean, we happen to be in a very relationship-driven organization, and so we're very like-minded individuals, and we spend a lot of time together. Um, But I think that I have a huge amount of admiration for the metrics and the ROI story that she has told and has been able to use to build the investment into the marketing dollars. And so the challenge for me is to learn and continuing to think about how do we bridge what they've done so effectively into the work that we do. I think that people intuitively feel very comfortable with the gains that we've made in terms of reputation and the thought leadership that we're able to do. But she does it so well in terms of telling an ROI story. And so I think I'm always asking, how can I learn from that as well? And she tells her ROI story to which constituents on your behalf? Internally, the executives and the board to be able to increase the investment and has done that incredibly effectively to be able to get the company to prioritize marketing investment. There you go. Words of wisdom from Kelly McGinnis. Kelly, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I am so proud of the work that you are doing, that you share, that you're so authentic. And um, I know that we're going to get a lot of listeners um, uploading this. And uh, truly, again, as I said in the beginning, there are a very, you're iconic, you're authentic, you're constantly evolving, but you're true to your core. And so you set a marvelous example and also the longevity, you know, 1853. And I love the fact that you said, and we want to be here for the next 167 years. Thank you, Kelly McGinnis, and keep up the amazing work. I want to thank Kelly for an amazing conversation. We learned so much today. The bar is high. We all must get engaged. And I'd like to engage you. So please go to wherever your favorite podcasts are listed, probably iTunes or Spotify, and give us a review. We really, really love those reviews. And give us feedback. Who else would you like to hear on the show? How can Chris and I do it better? And please, please, Share our podcast with your friends. It's our passion to do this. There's so much great work being done in the purpose arena. And there's so much for us to continue to do better. So please join us. Listen to Purpose 360. And again, I ask you, what is your purpose?